You're listening to another episode of the Young Investors Podcast, so sit back and relax as myself, Brandon, and my buddy Hamish discuss the latest in the world of finance and stock market investing. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing and you need some help, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with all that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back, Brandon. How are you doing at the moment? Still, in, still in lockdown, right? I, I presume. Yeah, still in lockdown. Our lockdown just got extended mm. uh, again. Uh, yeah, I can't remember how long for, but um, I mean, to be honest, I'm not keeping close track just because it doesn't really affect me, to be honest. <laughs> My life is the same. The only thing that changes is that I, I we, like can't hang out with friends and stuff like that. But, you know, working from home, I'm pretty lucky. Uh, I guess we are working yeah. from home and just all of our business is online. It's, it's not in, I guess, in the physical realm. <laughs> so, we're, we're kind of lucky we got off lightly. Yeah, no, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, I, I saw something interesting actually mm-hmm. regarding COVID. Uh, we always start by talking about. I guess that's the that's just what's <laughs> what's <laughs> drastically impacting our lives at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, but, uh, yeah. I saw that um, they're they're starting to consider a third. Uh, Pfizer shot. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. I actually, yeah, I read something about that this morning, actually. Yeah. Yeah. They were saying that they, they want to start introducing a third booster shot of Pfizer six months after you get your second dose. And they said um, they did a study in, I think, Israel or something, and it's mm. bringing your protection up to 95%. Right. Which is pretty crazy. Also, actually, one thing, um, one thing that I also saw this morning was uh, the influenza rates in australia oh yeah have you have you seen this no i I haven't this is insane right so um it says it so before covid19 arrived the number of influenza cases was reaching some of its highest levels 313,000 notifications of laboratory confirmed influenza across australia in 2019 Right. And 953 deaths so 313,000 cases of influenza yeah in 2019. This year to August 29th, there was 484 cases. What? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what? How that- does that make any sense? That doesn't make any sense. How could that oh, be well, just, I guess it's just no the lockdown? Flu. Nobody's, you know, we're trying to stop COVID, but at the same time, just a byproduct is that we've completely halted <laughs> influenza, which is pretty insane. Yeah, I, I, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we've pretty much. Well, I mean, we've done a very good job, at least up until this point, of of keeping COVID down. So I, I guess, yeah, I guess that makes sense that we would also be keeping down influenza. That is crazy, though. That's a crazy mm. stat. Three hundred thousand down to less than a thousand. Like less than 500. That's, yeah. that's got, crazy. This this is something very, very interesting, right? So, we've mm. got three- We had 313,000 influenza cases, 953 deaths mm-hmm. in 2019. So, 0.3% death rate. Right. Then 2021, so we had our 484 cases so far where 66%- Well, at that date was 66% of the way through the year. Mm. So, it suggests at the end of the year, we'll have 733 cases and two deaths- Wow. Okay. Hmm. So that that's a life saving of 951 people per year, right? Hmm. Yeah. And then in total, since COVID came to town, we've had a, a 1116 COVID deaths in 2 years. So wow. we're actually 
on like per year, we're actually doing better in terms of like deaths to airborne viruses. Wow. How crazy is that? Be careful, Brandon. <laughs> you, you're starting to make a case for, for permanent lockdowns. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true, actually. <laughs> no, uh, wait, that's not going to happen. Did you see that uh, that news presenter who made the mistake of saying um, she read the teleprompter wrong and she was like, uh, lockdowns in Australia have been extended to 2070. <laughs> <laughs> she meant to say until 70% had been vaccinated. She said uh, until 2070. I, I mean, until 70% are vaccinated, it's not extended to 2070. <laughs> That's funny. hilarious. That's yeah. so funny. One of the things. Lockdown yeah. till 2070. I think I'd be trying to get out, out of the country yeah, if that I was think, going to, yeah, going to be, be the case. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't be staying here. That's for sure. One other thing I want to mention before we get into the sponsor and get into a few really interesting news stories that we've got for today. Um, Last week, we asked people to, to help us out with some questions because we were running dry and uh, you guys came through. There was about 20 questions, I think, that Whoa. were left on the latest episode on the YouTube version, which is where you That's can leave awesome. your questions if you have more. We're always welcoming more. So, just because we've got a lot now do- doesn't mean stop. Um, but thanks, everyone, for, for coming through and we'll, we'll try to get through um, a couple of those in today's episode. We've got a couple of interesting stories. We've got some uh, conclusion coming out of the Apple Epic Games lawsuit, some inflation data out of the US monthly inflation data, Ray Dalio's thoughts on crypto, and then uh, an interesting partnership between uh, two unlikely businesses. So, with all of that said, let's get into t- today's sponsor. So, Today's episode is sponsored by ShareSite, which is an application you can use to track the performance of your stock portfolio. So you can bring in all of your trades automatically uh, if you are using one of the associated brokers, which is most brokers in Australia and actually globally as well. Uh, Or you can enter your trades manually or using Excel and it will track all of the different types of gains. So capital gains, dividends, if you have dividend reinvestment plans, it will do all of those calculations for you. Currency gains, if you're buying shares internationally or you hold foreign currencies, And then you can also use it for when it comes to tax time. So, ShareSite generates up to 12 different reports that can be used to track the performance of your portfolio, as well as used at tax time to work out things such as your capital gains, dividend income, and more. And at the moment, you can try ShareSite for free by heading over to ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. That's site spelled S-I-G-H-T, ShareSite.com forward slash young investors. So use that link, sign up to a free plan, try it for as long as you want, or you can also use that link to get four months off a yearly subscription if you want to sign up to a premium plan with more features. So go check it out and and thanks again to everyone who has used that link when signing up and is supporting the podcast in a small way. So, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Where, where should we start for today? I kind of want to head into this uh, Apple versus mm. Epic Games stuff because this has been really uh, interesting. I just made a video on it. But, yeah, I've been finding this battle. We've been talking about it the whole way through, really, as yep. it's kind of been unfolding. And I guess this is just the next chapter in in what's what's happened. Yeah. And I think, I mean, this is a, a major milestone that happened today uh, or, or not today, I should say, this week or a couple of days ago, I think, from, from when we're recording this. But um, the decision was actually handed down for... um, for this court case, for this lawsuit. So, um, obviously a big milestone in the case and we can kind of talk about what that means because it wasn't just one thing that this uh, trial was about. It was actually 10 different things. So, um, we can talk about that. But just to give a little bit of a background on what we're talking about here. um, So, this is a battle between Epic Games, which is a game developer, and Apple. Um, So, a bit of background Apple, for their app store, they charge developers a 30% commission for in-app 
purchases. So um, if you have an app and then you want to charge customers within the app for, I don't know, um, little additions to the game or, or, you know, if it's something like Netflix, you could pay for the Netflix subscription directly through the app. Uh, then Apple takes a 30% commission because they make the infrastructure um, that goes into the app. Um, they make the software and they process the payments, right? Um, and they also did something that was interesting, which is they blocked developers from providing links or any communications about other ways that customers could pay and bypass the commission. So, mm. not only do they could you only pay for in-app purchases through Apple, you couldn't even tell uh, customers, oh, you can go here to this other website or take this link here and you can avoid this 30% commission. Um, and I think the easiest mm. way to think about this is something like um, like a Spotify or a Netflix, right? Um, these are subscriptions where you could go directly to the website and just buy it from Netflix, but you could also buy it in the app. And if you're buying it in the app, it's going to be an in-app purchase and Apple's going to charge that 30% commission. So you can imagine mm. that it's going to be more expensive um, to do it that way. Um, and uh, Epic Games basically thought that this was illegal, um, that it was anti-competitive, that this was Apple flexing its uh, monopolist, uh, monopolistic muscle and, uh, and doing yeah. something that shouldn't be allowed. Um, so they started, you know, doing some things to basically initiate a lawsuit. Um, so the first thing they did was they changed the code in their Fortnite app. So Epic Games owns Fortnite, massive battle royale game um, that's available on a bunch of different platforms, but of course it's on mobile as well. Um, they changed the code in the app app to allow customers to pay directly within the app and bypass, uh, pay them directly, I should say, and bypass Apple. So, they basically basically gave people an alternative. They were like, here, you can do an in-app purchase or you can get it 20% cheaper with us. Um, mm. And they basically were still able to profit 10% more on their customers by doing that. Um, and uh, Apple, as a reaction, banned uh, banned the Fortnite app from the store. Um, yeah. And they did this entirely, Epic Games did this entirely so that they could bring a lawsuit against Apple because um, uh. they can't bring a lawsuit if nothing has happened. So, they actually changed the code. They violated Apple's um, policy on purpose. Apple reacted and then they can bring the lawsuit saying that that reaction by Apple was incorrect or illegal. Um, yeah. So, that's what's happened kind of so far. One fun fact was that the Epic Games CEO actually sent Apple CEO Tim Cook an email at 2 a.m. in August last year when this all happened. He sent him an email at 2 a.m. basically declaring war, basically letting him know that they were no longer going <laughs> to adhere to the uh, to, to Apple's payment processing restrictions. So, I thought that was kind of funny, uh, just sending an email at 2 a.m. Um, I remember you telling me about that. That was that's hilarious. <laughs> that that is like a declaration of war, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, I can just imagine Tim Cook like not being, you know, rest of sleeping or something because you know he's yeah. the CEO of Apple. He's probably not sleeping that much, <laughs> and then just yeah. seeing a notification. <laughs> We're at <laughs> war. Is <laughs> that yeah. game CSA? Oh, wipe the sleep out of my eyes. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> They're attacking us. Oh dear. Uh, no, so uh, that's pretty crazy. that's pretty much what happened last year, and then over the past twelve months has been the court case. Of course, these court cases go for so long, so we kind of mm. have to. <laughs> we must. I wonder what episode we spoke about this originally. It was August yeah. last year. It would have been like I don't know, episode ninety or something. Yeah, who uh, knows? which is uh, kind of crazy. But now we have the decision. So a decision was handed down on all ten counts. So there's ten different things that Epic Games were um, were basically suing Apple for. 
Um, and I'm not going to go through all of them because we'll be here for hours. So, um, I'll just go through some of the key takeaways. Um, the first key takeaway was that Apple won on nine out of 10 counts. So, uh, for the nine out of 10 counts, Apple was the, uh, the victor, um, <laughs> meaning that, uh, Epic was unsuccessful in, in most of their challenges. Um, two of the key challenges, actually three of the key challenges that were kind of, um, dismissed. One was that Epic Games said that, um, Apple shouldn't be allowed to charge 30%, um, that, uh, they made an argument, which I thought was kind of strange around how an 8% commission was sufficient for them to be profitable. And as a result, it was anti-competitive for them to price gouge, I guess, and, and have a substantially higher commission. Um, mm. that was completely dismissed. Um, Another one was whether Apple could continue to prohibit other third-party marketplaces on iOS. So, um, at the moment, of course, you can only go to the App Store, right? You can't go on Safari and just download apps externally. You also can't download the Google Play Store on on your Apple phone. You can only get apps through the App Store. Again, that was allowed. That's completely fine. Apple can prohibit... um, third-party marketplaces on iOS. Um, And then the other interesting one was that the courts also ruled that Apple was not a monopoly. Um, So, they argued that they were a duopoly with Google. Um, And a quote from uh, Judge uh, Rogers, I think it is. Um, I'll get to the name in a second. Um, I think it was, her name is, uh, what was it? Yvonne Gonzalez Rogers, I think. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, She basically said, uh, this type of success is not an illegal monopoly. So, um, those were kind of three, um, wins for Apple. Um, but of course they did have one loss and it's, it's quite a significant one. Um, although I I think it's kind of difficult to see what kind of impact this will have until it plays out. But, um, on the 10th count, um, they found the courts found that Apple's anti-steering policy was illegal. So what's anti-steering? Well, they had a policy called anti-steering, which prevented app app developers from linking or telling customers that they could avoid Apple's commissions by and paying yeah. a lower price. That's what I was talking about earlier, how if you download Spotify, for example, you could go directly to Spotify's website and pay a cheaper price. Or if you sign up through the Apple app, you're going to be paying that commission to, or there's going to be a commission to Apple. So, it's going to cost you more. Um, They basically, the court said that this was uh, illegal, that they can't do this. Um, So, Judge Rogers handed down a permanent injunction, which means that in 90 days uh, or less, uh, Apple is, well, in 90 days, Apple will be blocked uh, from preventing app developers from linking app users to other storefronts within apps to complete purchases. Mm. Um, so, uh, yeah. And that's the big news story, isn't it? This this is really what what people are, uh, what all the news sites are covering. This is what people are super interested in because it, this is the one that really- is interesting from an investing standpoint as well um, because, you know, this is, you know, Apple, and I've spoke about this in my video, Apple, they make the iPhone, that's their product. I mean, they've made it great, so it's super successful. Mm. Then they just create this competitive advantage from having a super successful phone um, in the fact that the only app store is the Apple App Store. You know, that's the only one that's allowed and they can they can effectively make this toll moat. They're just thinking about, okay, we've got this amazing advantage of having a billion people in the world. Yes, a billion people using <laughs> an iPhone. Mm. It's like, okay, how can we how can we 
turn this into a competitive advantage. Uh, we'll just put the app store on iPhones. And that's the only way you can download apps. And then we'll just collect uh, a chunk of the revenue from other people that want to sell stuff to our customers that have bought our devices that we have sold, that we have built over the years. So, it's really interesting because yeah. this is just like a, a kind of competitive advantage. It's a toll moat that Apple has. Um and they've the judge has, has basically said well the, the, let's let's be clear the toll moat will still definitely be there to some effect mm. but they've now enabled this judge has enabled a way for people to bypass the apple toll moat um which is something really interesting from uh, from an investing standpoint, if you're interested in Apple stock, you know, obviously, if if you're a buyer of Apple stock, then you just want you want this toll moat to be as strong as possible. From a conf- from a consumer standpoint, mm. the 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 rule the ruling here is totally in your favour because you know if you wanted to sign up to Netflix, you don't want it to be like thirty percent more expensive just because you know what 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 value add is Apple giving you? You just want to sign up for a Netflix account. You don't want to yeah. give you know. 70% of that or, you know, 100% of that money that you would have signed up to to Netflix, you don't want to give that to Netflix and then give another 30% to Apple on top of that. So, yeah, and it's a really interesting, yeah, situation. Yeah, and that anti-steering policy, the one that they said they weren't allowed to, to have, specifically- is there to basically limit transparency for customers, right? It's specifically there designed yes. to make customers think that when they go into an app, if you didn't have any awareness of how Apple's commissions worked, that the only way you could pay is in the app through Apple. Um, yeah. So, you know, Apple and, and one of the other kind of rulings that came down was that uh, a- Apple still can force apps to have the in-app purchase kind of framework in every single app. So Epic Games can't open the Fortnite app and just like not have in-app purchases available, but it still has to be the primary way that people make purchases within the app. But now Epic so Games- So they can't make an app within their app? No. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> is, that what, is that what you're saying? E- exactly right. But Epic right. can now link or they can say, hey, if you want to save 20%, which is what they did previously. For, so, for example, if you want to save 20%, Here's how you pay direct, directly to us and bypass Apple's commission. So they can't. You, it's basically just giving consumers a bit more visibility. Um, right. And I mean, for some, for a lot of apps, in in app purchases is the only way that you purchase. Right. Um, mm. This is really for businesses where. Um, they're selling something that is available on iOS, but it's also a service that's available elsewhere and that you can pay for right. it elsewhere. So, Fortnite, for example, is a game that's multi-platform. Um, same mm. as something like Spotify. It's not only on Apple devices. It's something that you can buy um, through the Spotify website. You can use it online. You could use it on Macs. You could use it on uh, on Android. So, yeah. um, it's really for those kinds of businesses, I think. But yeah, we, we really don't know what kind of impact I think this is going to have. Um, it's really unclear for me because, you know, will customers use links to, to, to save money? I mean, they may very well do that. Or will most customers mm. just continue to use the most convenient option? <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. Um, well, I think the, 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 the more expensive the purchase, 
the more likely they are to go externally. Like if it's yeah. a, a one or two dollar in-app purchase, it's probably just they just won't care because of the convenience mm. factor that it's already just in the app store. Mm. But you know, if if you, say if you were on, I don't know, like if car sales, and then it's like, well, if you buy this car <laughs> through our app, Apple's going to take thirty percent. It's going to be thirty percent more expensive. Then they just go elsewhere. Now that's probably a terrible example, but you kind of get get my point. No, there. it is kind of like that because I think I'm not sure if I've got this entirely right, but um, Facebook Marketplace does sales through iOS, and um, one thing Facebook got in trouble for with Apple around this same story was. Um, when people were buying things on Marketplace, Facebook takes no cut, right? So, Facebook, it just right. fac- facilita- uh, just allows the transaction to happen. Um, just but the it, platform. Yeah, yeah, but if you're doing it through an, an app, um, Apple had that commission, right? Um, so, Apple uh-huh. was the only one taking a commission in that case, not even Facebook. And Facebook changed, Facebook changed their code so that right before the payment, they said, Facebook takes no fee, Apple takes 30%. Um, yep. And Apple said, no, that's not allowed. They blocked the update. Um, <laughs> so, that it will be allowed now, um, which is, uh, right. which you know, things like that. But that, that's an interesting situation because it's a, it's a service where, you know, Facebook's not even taking money on it. Like, it's weird that Apple is allowed to get a hand in that transaction. Yeah. And maybe people will think twice if, you know, in that case where it's like you either pay no processing fee or you pay 30% to Apple. Yeah. Um, I'll just hop onto my desktop and, and pay for it externally, especially if it's marketplace and you're spending a couple hundred bucks on, you know, some furniture or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, yeah. I, I don't know how it all it'll play out. The, the stock was down about 3%, I think, which is a pretty mm-hmm. standard... Th- up, up three, down three is a pretty standard move for for when yeah, for tech, for tech, tech companies business. where where bad news or good news comes out. But so true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> oh, yeah. Now th- this is very interesting. It'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It, you can definitely tell that this is a this is really a uh, an awareness thing. That's what Apple is really trying to stop. They're trying yeah. to stop the awareness that if you buy through the App Store, then you are going to pay thirty percent to Apple. Because as soon as people, as soon as that is common knowledge and that's widespread, then yeah, people are just going to be like, well, I just better you know use this external link and th- save thirty percent. So. Uh, but yeah, there you go. The judge has uh, has laid down the law. Yeah, very uh, yeah, very interesting. There, there you go. I mean, actually, one other thing I did have to have to say on this was the response yep. of the two companies. Um, oh, right. So Apple was actually quite pleased with this result. So they said that it was a win for them and that they're not challenging mm. the the one count that they lost, which was the anti steering policy. So they're just going to um, you know allow that to go forward. And I guess we will see what changes they make and whether Epic. Um, accepts them because then they could surely sue them again if they're like if, if they think that they're um, you know they're still having somewhat of an anti-steering policy in place um, yeah. Epic Games was not happy <laughs> which kind of makes sense they lost 9 out of 10 counts um, they said that this was not a win for consumers or developers uh, and that they'll be appealing nine the 9 counts that they lost so mm. um, yeah. Epic sees this as a loss but uh, I guess we'll kind of see maybe in Apple's numbers going forward what impact this has but it's probably very mm. difficult to kind of see anyway um, so sounds like Epic Games were really just wanting to wanting to have a judge agree that Apple is a monopoly and take more of the anti-monopoly approach. 
Yeah. That's that's what it sounds like yeah. and why they're cranky. Because Apple's probably like, oh, geez, we're happy with that, guys. We we dodged a bullet there. They said we're not a monopoly. Phew. Yeah. And I mean- <laughs> we'll, we'll take that. <laughs> yeah. And, and similar to a Facebook case we we're talking about uh, another time, when it comes to determining whether a company is a monopoly, a big part of it is, of course, determining what is the what do we define as the market? Um, mm. Because to determine that a company has overwhelming market power, you have to define what the market is. And the court ended yeah. up deciding that the market that Apple operates in is, I think it was like mobile in-app transactions or something. And from right, that yeah. market, they have 55% market share and Google has you know, a significant portion as well. So, they yeah. weren't a monopoly. Whereas Epic Games wanted to define the market as all iPhone apps, which of course, in that, if that was how the market was defined, <laughs> Apple is a monopoly because they own, they're the only app store that provides apps on iPhones. So, uh, that's kind of how the two companies were trying to define the market and the courts mm. ended up siding basically with, with Apple. So, yeah. Hmm, yeah. Interesting. Do you want to take us through... Where should we go? Do you want to talk about Ray Dalio and yeah, and his thoughts on uh, yeah? I'll talk about Ray about Dalio. I just saw this uh, little uh, little interview pop up on CNBC, so I just had a bit of a squeeze this morning. Mm. Um, yeah, Ray Dalio. He was talking about cryptocurrency, um, and what I found really interesting is that he actually said that he now does own some Bitcoin in his funds. I mean, he's kind of been not oh. really. He, yeah, he hasn't really been getting into crypto. He's kind of been saying, you know, government's just going to crack down on it. But now he revealed that he does actually own some Bitcoin in his funds. Uh, but he said that it's a lower percentage than what he has in gold, which in turn is a lower percentage mm. than what he has in equities. So, um, what I found really interesting, though, is that his viewpoint on Bitcoin and cryptocurrency hasn't really changed. No. <laughs> like he's he's bought it, but he's still very much aware. He's still definitely saying that, you know, he doesn't believe that it's probably going to work out in the long term, which I kind of find a little bit contradictory, mm. but this is uh this is what he what he said. So he actually said he wouldn't be surprised if governments step in and block it if it becomes more mainstream. Uh, he was talking about saying, like, while places like El Salvador uh, were welcoming Bitcoin as legal tender, he notes that the main trend worldwide is that countries are trying to either get rid of it or regulate it. And he points to uh, China and India are trying to get rid of it and the US is trying to, to regulate it. Hmm. Um, so, and he kind of said, you know, D- despite despite owning Bitcoin, you know, investors really need to recognize what financial assets have intrinsic value and what assets have just perceived value. And this is kind of our right. what we always talk about with Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Um, and we say the same with gold. You know, it's a non-productive asset. Um, whereas, like, if you owned Apple's shares or shares in any business, that is like that has some sort of intrinsic value. Mm. Um, but you know what? What he essentially what Ray said is that he isn't against owning things that only have perceived value, like Bitcoin. Right. You could argue gold. You know, tulips, <laughs> baseball cards. You know, um, the the thing that he just noted is that first of all, you want to keep a very you know you want to keep things that have perceived value a very small part of your portfolio make sure most of your portfolio remains in investments that do have calculatable intrinsic value yeah. um so he he said quote there are so many things in a historical perspective that didn't have intrinsic value and had perceived value and then 
uh, yeah, and then it went hot and then it became cold. It could go either way. You just have to know what it is. It could be tulips in Holland. Um, so, there you go. Clearly, he's not, you know, against buying Bitcoin, but he does advise to the average investor that, you know, you just have to be, you have to be comfortable. If you own Bitcoin, you just have to be comfortable understanding. You have to, you know, make peace with the fact that, you know, Bitcoin is something that has perceived value as opposed to intrinsic value. Yeah. Uh, but interesting. Uh, interested to hear kind of your your take on Ray Dalio. Do you kind of agree with him here or, or, I mean, or challenge his opinion? I, I mean- To a certain extent, I mean, I certainly think that it's, I mean, I think it's okay for people to collect things that have perceived value. I think you mentioned baseball cards and, you know, people collect watches and all of these things, of course, have perceived value. You can't calculate their value based on cash flows because they don't have any. But um, I don't know, to me, I, I, when I, when I'm thinking about, when I'm putting my investing hat on, I like to think about investments where I can reasonably calculate what they're worth. And that even eliminates most businesses that do have intrinsic value. They do produce <laughs> yeah. cash flow, but I just don't, I can't calculate what it, what it is. Um, so, you know, when I have my investing hat on, I don't touch perceived value at all. I don't touch the vast majority of intrinsic value. Um, I stick to intrinsic value that I understand, but um, I, d- I don't think that means that you you can't have any. And I think he, I, I agree with him in that you want to keep it as a small part of your portfolio. Um, and, you know, maybe that's just something that's interesting to you in the same way that a speculative stock could be interesting to you. You want to collect something, you want to speculate on a stock or you want to have a collection of whatever it is, watches or, or, mm. or whatever it is. So, um, yeah, I, I, in that respect, it kind of makes sense. But for him managing a global portfolio on behalf of people, I don't know. Um I'm not sure. Uh, I, I've never been sold on on cryptocurrency as an investment. I've never been sold on gold as an investment. And I actually agree with his original and he, I guess his continuing stance on it, which is that I think governments are going to try and regulate it um, as much as they can, because currency is one of those things that um, modern societies have realized is uh, really ha- kind of handy if the government can <laughs> control it. Um, some people don't like that, but I mean, the fact that the government, the US government, for example, has the power to do quantitative easing and, and use interest rates to, to and, and uh, uh, use interest rates and quantitative easing to kind of manipulate the currency. Um, while that kind of mm. might sound bad on the surface, it can, it has over time reduced the damage of, of recessions. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, look, cryptocurrency is something I, I just, I just don't understand it. Um, so, it's not mm. something I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to make strong opinions about. <laughs> I think. Yeah. And I think that's fair. You know, if you don't have a, if you don't have that, and this applies to everything. If you don't have a strong understanding of it, you probably just want to let it pass. <laughs> <laughs> or not not kind of get messed up into it. I mean, there are plenty of people buying Bitcoin that have done their research and have, they're like computer programmers and they think this is the next big thing, you know. But uh, yeah. uh, I mean, for most people, I would argue that most people w- wouldn't be able to understand Bitcoin. I, I mean, I don't have any sort of computer expertise, programming expertise. So, you know, they could talk to me about how it's programmed, this and that, and I'd be like, well, it doesn't make any sense to me. Um so, I think that it's just worth realizing that if, you know, wow, okay, Bitcoin is this hot new thing and it could go up 10x, but um, but I mean, if you don't understand it, then you got to realize it could go down to zero as well. And then 
you just if you don't really understand what you're doing, then you are just taking a punt. You're just kind of crossing your fingers and hoping. But yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, very interesting that Dalio's bought it, but he also kind of thinks that in the long term it might very well be shut down by by governments that are able to shut it down. So mm. um, yeah, I don't know. See, see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. Speaking- Bitcoin is just that decade long. We'll see what happens. Kind yeah. of. <laughs> <laughs> situation is look yeah now uh speaking of cryptocurrency uh elon made a tweet last night do you see that did he around cryptocurrency? Oh, no. yeah he, uh, he tweeted um i don't know he tweeted a picture of a dog i don't get the reference but he tweeted a picture of a dog and and said floki has arrived and i think it's the name of a cryptocurrency and the uh the cryptocurrency went up a thousand percent so all right good on your mask still still pushing them around <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I think he was saying he was going to get a what are they called Shiba Inus? Yeah, he, he was going to buy one. Maybe that's that's. It might be I'm what that is. Find it. So yeah, he it must is. have bought a it dog. Is. Yeah, he named it Floki. All right, that's that's hilarious. Yeah. And so what? Floki is the name of a crypto, is it? Yeah. I like I don't Floki coin. Yeah, I don't know if it, someone made that after he said that. I mean, they oh my probably God, did. That would be insane. They probably did after he first mentioned that. I guess. Or maybe you just named it that. I don't know. Hang on. Let's let's go all time. Uh, so, I'm clicking on the all time chart and it's going back to the 10th of the 7th, 2021. So, maybe you're right. July. <laughs> maybe. He, here's something. Maybe Elon created it. Ooh. Elon. Wow. That's, that's meta. Wow. Maybe he did. That would that would be hilarious though. Imagine if he just created this crypto and then got a dog. Because that wouldn't be any sort of market manipulation if you just posted a picture of a dog and it was called Floki. And then he's just benefited like 10x or whatever, whatever you said. How much did it go up? A thousand percent. A thousand percent. Right. Yeah. 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 Wow. <laughs> Jeez. I'm putting my I'm putting my detective's hat on here. Yeah. So I'm uh from this story you've just told us, I'm sensing there's a Dalio coin coming. And uh, Dalio <laughs> coin, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a young investors coin out <laughs> oh, now, guys. Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh boy. Yeah. Send us an email if you want to get in on the latest ICO. <laughs> all right where anyway. should we go from here do uh, uh tell me about inflation i'm right. interested i've been following we've been following inflation inflation's been going up and up and up and up and then what was it last month it mm. was like mm, i'll just be the same yeah so it kind of left us hanging it's like are you going up or are you coming back down yep so inflation 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 it's the story of 2021 mm. It's the big thing Tell me. everyone cares about, but also doesn't really care about. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we got US inflation data for August. Uh, so, we get this on a month by month basis. And um, this month, uh, the changes were less than last month. So, um, CPI, consumer price index, is what we track for inflation. So, this is obvi- uh, the, the CPI is kind of a measure of a, a basket of consumer goods. And we measure how that, that basket changes in price over time. Um, and that's what we call inflation. So, um, in August, this increased 0.3% from July. So, it's a month over month increase. Um, and that's the smallest increase in seven months. So, on a month by month basis, it's slowing down. It's starting to cool off. On a year over year basis, uh, inflation is still pretty high. It's at 5.3%. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of 
month over month, but also year over year, inflation has, uh, sorry, on year over year, inflation has declined for the second month in a row. Um, okay. But it does sit pretty close to its peak. So, I can't remember yeah. exactly what its peak was, but it would have been like 5.7 or something like that, um, or maybe 5.4 or something. And it's yeah, kind of- I think it was 5.4. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm looking at the graph and it um, it does look like it's probably about 5.4. Um, right. So, yeah, it's kind of- it's 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 cooling off a little bit, right? Um, mm. in, in terms of core inflation, so this is where we take the CPI and then remove food and energy. The reason why we do that is because food and energy um, are historically quite uh, seasonal and quite volatile. So, um, just take um, petrol or petroleum, for example, that goes around crazy, right? Um, so, mm. on a month-by-month basis, it kind of makes sense to ex- exclude that. Um, although they are important to consider over longer periods of time. Yeah. Uh, uh, during the month, so month over month, it increased uh, 0.1%. That's core inflation. So, very small increase if you exclude food and energy. Uh, and the reason why it increased such a small amount was because there was big declines in a couple of areas. So, used cars declined, airfares declined. Airfares declined the most. Um, it was the biggest category. It was down 9% uh, during the month. Uh, and auto insurance was another one. So, pretty minor increases. What does this mean so far for 2021? Um, so, year to date, uh, so the first eight months of the year is something that um, I think is quite interesting to, to take a look at. Um, it's at 4.48% in the US. So, wow. it's quite a bit. Pretty high considering um, the, the goal that, you know, the, air, the range we want to see inflation within is 1% to 2%. So, um, it's considerably higher than that. Um, and mm. even if we see a 0.2% increase for the rest of the months, for the rest of the year. So, continued decline, for example, uh, 2021 inflation will be well above 5%. So, it'll probably be somewhere between about 5.5%, maybe higher, depending if it does, inflation does pick up again. Um, That's kind of what we're looking for for 2021, considerably higher than than previous years where we've really struggled to even see 1% in a lot of years um, over the past decade. It's been crazy. Yeah, it has. And- uh, I mean, the big question out of inflation um, is, you know, we're still asking, is this transitory? This is the mm. this is the big story, right? It's Jerome Powell. Yeah. Transitory. <laughs> transitory. This is transitory inflation and it's not going to be around for much longer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, pretty, I mean, so for those who are not aware, like, there's been a lot of supply side constraints in 2021 because a lot of businesses went from really low production in 2020 due to restrictions and, and the recession to all of a sudden everyone has all this money from stimulus and all this pent up demand to do things and uh, businesses were not ready. So, they had supply constraints. Um, they had to take some time to get things manufactured and, and that sort of thing. So, um, as a result, there was you know quite a peak in inflation that we saw during the middle of the year. And, you know, the, the question now is how much of that is transitory? Are we going to see all of, is all of it in transitory? Are we going to see inflation just go back to 1% next year? Um, we're going to mm. go from 1% to 6% back to 1% and then we're just going to be smooth sailing? Or is it going to settle a little bit higher, right? Um, mm. So, month over month, this month was 0.3%. And that's, you know, the lowest it's been in seven months. It is, it seems like a small number, right? But even 0.3%, yeah. if it stays at 0.3% on an annualized basis, that's 3.7% inflation. So, that's still double what- Still a chunk. Double what yeah. we want it to be. So, the month over month numbers need to keep going down. And the truth is we don't 
really know if that's going to happen or not. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I see a lot of people making arguments um, that, you know, oh, this is evidence that it is transitory, uh, you know, end of discussion. But that's really not the argument we're having here. We, we know that a portion of it is transitory. That's, that's a certainty. The question really is how much? And we won't know until we see the data. There's no way to look at the trend right now and say, oh, look, it's transitory or, oh, look, we're still at 5% year <laughs> over year. It's not trans. That You can't do that. Um, mm. We just have to wait and see what happens. Um, so, yeah. yeah we'll, we'll- I can guarantee you 98% of this is transitory, Hamish. Oh, okay. Yep. Sorry, correction, guys. Um, 98%. <laughs> Transitory. I stand corrected. Okay, Brandon, can, can you explain your reasoning? I'm going to uh, step down from the Young Investors Podcast. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I think you're right. And yeah, I think for most people, for me in particular, my I just don't know enough about macroeconomics to be able to even put a remote prediction on this sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I think that most people wouldn't be able to, um, like you were just saying. Who knows if it's going to be completely transitory or if inflation's here to stay? Who knows? But one thing we do know is that at the moment, inflation is certainly much higher than what it was um, a year or two ago. Yeah. Yeah, exactly yeah. right. I mean, it, I mean, even if we stay where we're at now, 4% is, you know, that's considerable. It's um, considerable. It's not Zimbabwe. No, but, no, it's, um, it's not. But I mean, but it's still considerable. I mean, a thousand dollars in your checking account turning into nine sixty is uh, in a year is that's considerable. Um, yeah. That's a big hit, and um, that kind of inflation does spur people to spend more money because they know that yeah. that money is going to be whittled away if it sits there, um, mm. and that drives more inflation. So. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think that's the only rational way to, to approach looking at inflation numbers. I, I really don't like when people make short-term predictions about inflation, looking at charts and just kind of going, oh, look at the trend. It's going to continue. Trends change all the time and we have no yeah. idea what's going to happen. So, we'll just have to see. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much all I've got, I think, on all right, cool. On the topic of inflation. Do you want to take us through this last story? Um, I haven't seen this one at all, so mm. take it away. Yeah. This one is, uh, I've titled it, Two Unlikely Businesses Team Up to Make New Product. Pepsi has partnered with Beyond Meat to make a new series of products they describe as meat-flavoured soda. No, they haven't. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm, just, I'm just joking. That, that was a joke. <laughs> uh, no, so PepsiCo is hoping to release new plant-based snacks and drinks made through its joint venture with Beyond Meat by early 2022. And this one took me by surprise, but we have to remember, as I had to remember earlier, PepsiCo doesn't just make Pepsi. <laughs> they are like a giant company mm. uh, with seven worldwide divisions. and They make a variety of food and beverage products. And I look just in Australia, they sell products under the brands Pepsi Max, Gatorade, Doritos, Smith's, Red Rock Deli, Twisties and Bluebirds. So, mm. there you go. Remember, remember, Brandon, Pepsi doesn't just make drinks. <laughs> it's it's kind of crazy when you think about that because you go down like that you know basically basically the junk food aisle right but you go down yeah. that aisle and you know you see all these different colors and different brands but um you know you could imagine segmenting that into into pepsi 
and and maybe Coke as well, and then maybe one, there's one one other food brand Mars, maybe in there. Yeah, yeah. Mars maybe, and uh, you know that would be the vast majority of the shelf space. It's uh, it, yeah, pretty it's, much. It's kind of uh, it's kind of crazy that these businesses have just consolidated, 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 um, yeah. and become these giants. So yeah, yeah, very interesting. It is. It honestly is quite fascinating. I, I that would actually be really interesting is to go through and, and actually do- You could even make a video about that. I reckon that'd go down pretty well. It's just like how many companies are actually in this store? Mm. <laughs> how many companies are actually in this Woolworths? I think you'd be surprised at how few companies are actually in that in that store that we go to every single week. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, if you took like, but- I think probably you took like 90% of sales, it would be go to a very concentrated few and then you'd have this like small percentage of sales, which is like mm. a lot of different little um, yeah. brands that get their shelf space for two weeks and then the product doesn't sell, so they rip it out. <laughs> then, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it would be very interesting to see something would like that. It would be interesting. Uh, but anyway, back to, so yeah, back to Pepsi and Beyond Meat. They announced a joint venture called The Planet Partnership in January. The partnership gives Beyond, a relatively new, a relative newcomer to the food world, a chance to leverage Pepsi's production and marketing expertise for new products. Mm. So, a little bit more detail on that. I looked at the the actual uh, information page on Pepsi's website uh, for The Planet. So, The Planet Partnership is a joint venture to develop, produce, and market innovative snack and beverage products made from plant-based protein. The joint venture will leverage Beyond Meat's leading technology in plant-based protein development and PepsiCo's world-class marketing and commercial capabilities to create and scale new snack and beverage options. Uh, and then it also notes the financial terms of the partnership were not disclosed. So, uh, I found that interesting. They're teaming up. And then the, the, the reason that this has kind of been news this week is because on Wednesday, Pepsi has announced a new broader initiative called PEP Plus. Mm. Isn't that just the naming convention trend oh, of the century? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The last few years, the last few years <laughs> particularly, everything is just plus. Disney Plus, yeah, ESPN Plus, and Apple. I should have instead Apple of Plus. New Money Clips. I should have done New Money Plus. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny. You should have missed opportunity. Yeah, Young Investors. We'll do Young Investors Plus. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just out of nowhere. We'll just change the name of the podcast to Young Investors Plus. <laughs> um. But anyway, so Pepsi announced a broader new initiative called PEP Plus that is meant to change the company's operations with sustainability as the focal point. So, I think Pepsi are really making a genuine shift uh, in their business model right. to try and be more sustainable. Um, the food and beverage giant's goals include slashing its plastic use, accelerating plans to reduce sodium and added sugars in its products, and uh, spreading regenerative uh, agricultural practices. Pepsi also said it is incorporating more diverse ingredients, particularly chickpeas, plant-based proteins, and whole grains, which uh, could make their way into Pepsi's potato chip portfolio. Mm. Uh, so, interesting. They do seem- I, I think their management is- kind of on on the sustainable side. I mean, I think they're uh, one of the high ups. I'm not sure if it was the CEO. It was just like, you know, it, it, we don't care. Even if you need to come in, even if your, you know, job position says come into the office, um, if you're only coming in for like phone calls or emails, then please just stay home. We don't want the pollution cost of you hmm. commuting to work and stuff. So, it seems like they actually are, they do actually have a somewhat of a genuine uh, uh, plan to to make their 
their products and their business a bit more sustainable, which I, yeah, I like. I like it. It's good to see. It's an issue that I care about. So yeah, well, um, I mean, consumers more and more every year care more about that. Um, whether it's true, whether it's yeah. you know wanting to eat more healthily and being a little bit thinking more yeah. about that, but in particular wanting to spend your money with businesses that do things ethically, right? Um, whether mm. it's the fashion industry and how they're sourcing their products or, or, or whether they're engaged in slave, somewhat of slave labor or something like that, or whether it's a food business and, and what's their carbon footprint. These are things that consumers on a growing basis care more and more about. So, yeah, it makes sense for businesses to want to, you know, advance themselves. Um, the thing I took out of this story, it, it's just so fascinating to think of. I mean, obviously, Pepsi's front facing business is this consumer business. They sell these these uh, drink and, and be- uh, so they sell these uh, food and beverage products. But on the back end, they have this huge system of, of production for products and services that or for, for products, I should say, um, that they can then partner with newer businesses that don't have that uh, infrastructure mm. yet and basically make money off those businesses, right? Taking a, a, a portion of revenue or whatever the, the, stru- the fee structure is um, by just producing the products for them. It's the same thing that Coca-Cola yeah. does with Monster Beverage. Monster Beverage being a relatively new um, beverage company, um, they use almost entirely Coca-Cola's distribution system. Um, mm. And Coca-Cola owns, a, I think, a 20% stake in, in Monster as a result of that. So, um, it's kind of a, a benefit that these companies can, can get on the back end in working with other businesses. Yeah. It's almost like infrastructure as a service. Yeah, I mean, it, it pretty much is, right? It's once you've yeah. got that foundation, um, you know, they can make partnerships with as long as long as they make partnerships with products that sell, then they can they can use their their systems, their their back end yeah. distribution systems. So, and that's hmm. what we've been saying. The, the the a classic example of of that idea that you're talking about is uh, is cloud computing mm. like AWS and Alibaba Cloud. It's just like these massive monster companies that already had these cloud computing um, uh, kind of services and infra- sorry, they had the infrastructure built for their own personal use. Mm. Then they're like, hang on, we can actually build on this and provide it as a service and that can just be another revenue segment. Um yeah. So, yeah, I find that really interesting. I think it's actually a business model that will probably catch on more and more from from big companies that look for revenue segments. Like, well, we currently use this for our own benefit, but could we create an infrastructure platform, whether it be in marketing or in cloud computing or in manufacturing? And can we offer that as a service to other companies? Yeah. So, I think I think that's actually quite interesting. It might might be bigger than what it already is in the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, that it just opens up the door for small businesses to- It does. Because, yeah. I mean, it, it, imagine if you had to, imagine if you had to set up your own service, which is something in the not too distant past that you had to do if you were, if you're running some kind of- some kind of, uh, I guess, online online business, right? Mm. Um, now everything is outsourced, right? You don't have the web or the website web services are all done through some kind of third party, whether it's Amazon or you have you know Kajabi or you know, have somebody that's that's hosting the website for you, um, and you know maybe your customer service and customer relations is done through a different company. Um, you you can be very lean as a as a startup business now online because of these bigger mm. companies that take on the burden of, of building the infrastructure. Um, so, yeah, it is interesting. We're just going to see more and more of it, certainly over time. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. All right. Mm. Should, we, should we do some Q&A? We've got so many questions to yeah, get through now. We've got a lot. We've got, this is great. Yeah. 
I, I love it. I feel it. like uh, ask this question to me because um, it's a little bit cheeky and it's on oh. in, on par with uh, what we're talking about today. So, <laughs> all right, I love it. I love it. I love it when <clears throat> when the listeners get a little bit snarky. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Hamish, hmm. actually, sorry, I'll, I'll read it properly. I have a very serious and non-smart-ass question for Hamish. Oh, that's a good start. <laughs> How does it feel to see your thesis in regards to Bitcoin be totally invalidated <gasps> by the objective reality of it taking over the world? <laughs> you could have said, yeah. I mean, you could have said for Hamish and Brandon because we, I think we uh, both we both kind of have the same thesis. This made me laugh. The objective reality think? of it taking over the world. It's funny. Someone also asked me a very similar question um, when I was on um, investing with Tom's podcast about Alibaba. <laughs> it's pretty much the exact same yeah. question about me uh, me not investing. But um, right, I mean, to, right. <laughs> to to answer your question seriously, I mean, my thesis kind of does line up with the reality of the world, and my thesis is simply I don't understand it so i don't invest in it um i mean i mean maybe at times i've i've said that it's a bubble um and i mean the truth of the matter is if i'm being completely honest i don't know if it's a bubble or not um or whether it has been in the past or 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 not so um i just don't know i don't know about it and that's okay um there's a lot of things in the world um in the investing world and and elsewhere that i don't understand and and uh, particularly when it comes to investing, I think staying away from what you don't understand is uh, is the best option. And looking back in hindsight at something like Bitcoin and saying, well, even though I didn't understand it, I should have put money in it because I would have been up. It's kind of silly because that means that mm. if I had that mindset and then I have that mindset about something new that I don't understand, I'm very likely going to lose money on that thing. Just because Bitcoin has been something that's done well so far doesn't mean that it's a good strategy to invest in things you don't understand. So. Mm. And to be honest, you're you're too modest to say this yourself. But from what I've I've learned from you know talking to you every week is that 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 you know what you just described is definitely a big part of why you have generated such good returns for yourself over the past few years. I mean, you have when we talk about the investments that you've made, all of those investments have worked out really well. But no matter what company we're talking about that you've invested in you're always able to say, oh, this is exactly why. Or if I say, oh, okay, so the restaurant industry, this or that or the other, and I ask you these questions, you've always like, oh, yeah, I looked into that and it turns out that this mm-hmm. and that. Like you always do go in, in depth with your investment. So it's like it's funny because even though Bitcoin has gone up a, a million trillion percent in the last like 10 years, I mean, you've still you yourself have still made incredible returns just because you have – followed your own strategy of sticking to things that you understand and making sure you understand things before you actually invest in them. So, it's kind of funny. I mean, you, you, you're happy to say that you don't know anything about Bitcoin and you've missed the boat on Bitcoin and it's gone up however many percent, but I mean, you've still done really well. So, I don't know. It says something to uh, about only investing in things that you do understand. Yeah. Oh, well, well, thank you for that. But yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's a fallacy to look back at things you missed and and or, or looking at things you don't understand and 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 say, oh, I should have invested in that. Or, or even though I don't understand this, if I just put a little bit in and it goes up heaps, then it, it won't matter that I only put, a, you know, a 1% of my... To me, that mindset just makes no sense. Um, mm. You will... The vast majority of things you don't understand that you invest in, you will lose on because you don't mm. understand them. Um, yes, yeah, I think that's just the, the reality of what will happen if you take the Bitcoin example and you applied that to a lot of different speculative things. Um, 
month over your lifetime, you will lose on the vast majority of them. (laughs) So, um, I would much rather invest in a few things that I I really understand and and be very confident that, you know, I, when I go to sleep at night, I, I know that my companies have very low debt. They're run by good people and they have good products and services. So, that, yep. uh, uh, nice restful sleep. Yeah, exactly right. Sleep like a baby. Hey, I know we I know we usually uh, alternate when, when we ask questions, but I want to ask you this okay. one as well because I think you've put down some really cool ideas here. What is one company that isn't publicly traded that you would love to own provided valuations are attractive? Yeah, this is- uh, I, I saw this question. I, I wanted to um, go through this as well. Um, I really liked your, your examples. I, I couldn't think of another one. So, that's why I wanted to ask it to you. Yeah, so, well, tell me about the ones that you picked. Well, these, these two I thought of because they're such iconic brands um, that are not public businesses. One is, of course, Red Bull. Um, so, the reason why I wrote that down is because I've looked into Monster Energy before and I think Monster Energy alongside Red Bull um, are both great businesses. Obviously, I haven't looked at Red Bull's financials because they're not public, but um, yeah. you know, Red Bull has a much more dominant position globally. Uh, Monster you can imagine are, they do quite well. Yeah. I mean, they. I mean, we have market share numbers out of them. They, they produce revenue numbers on a year-by-year basis. They just don't give us right. you know, any of the juicy details that we get from a public yeah. company, but clearly it's an extremely successful brand. So, that would be one I'd, be, I'd love to dive into, but it is still wholly owned as far as I'm aware by the founders. Um, so, you know, if you don't need to raise capital, why would you, right? <laughs> why would you sell a bunch of your company if you can own the whole thing and, and run it profitably? So, you know, mm. they don't need to. Another one is Ikea. Um, now, Ikea, I don't know at all what their numbers look like. I don't know if they're a good business on the numbers level, but I really like their like the way they lay out their stores and the way that they mm. make their products really easy to put together. And and really, they, they basically carved out a segment that didn't exist, which was, um, you know, putting to basically putting together your own furniture, right? Buying it in yeah. a flat flat pack and and putting it together. Now, Kmart and a few others do it as well, but um, they're kind of the gold standard of that. Um, so, those mm. are two businesses that I would like to look more into if I had the public data, but I, I really don't know too much more about them, but iconic brands nonetheless. Yeah. And I would say when I looked at those, I was like, oh my gosh, what, what great examples because Red Bull brand moat Holy smokes, what a brand. And then Ikea, also brand mode, but also price mode. Yeah. Which, uh, I mean, it's it's because it's got that price mode, it has developed a brand mode and Mm. everybody loves Ikea now. I mean, you go to you go to one of those massive IKEA places, and it's always packed. Yeah, it's packed. Oh, the, people, yeah. you know, you can ask your friends, you know, oh, where'd you get that from? Oh, IKEA. You know, where'd you get that bath mat from? Oh, IKEA. Oh, where'd you get that lint roller from? Oh, IKEA. <laughs> the store design is just genius as well. To have you yeah. have to walk through the entire store to get to the end. See, I mean, you can yeah. take shortcuts, but you basically have to yeah. walk through every single single department. And every single department is set up like a home. So, you get yeah. really- You get inspired. Oh. You get inspired to go- You do. To, to, to what you could build your office out into or your bedroom or, or kitchen yeah. or whatever it is. It's just genius. And there's just, it, there's just nothing like it, <laughs> mm. at least in no, Australia. True. So, yeah. True. I had one more, mm. but I, I, to be honest, I couldn't think of things would be like proper investments, mm. but I did think of a speculative one that I would really be interested in just- taking a punt on and that is SpaceX. Mm. I would love to be a shareholder in SpaceX. 
to be honest, if you looked at it right now and you applied our value investing practices to SpaceX, you'd probably be like, you are an idiot <laughs> if you buy that thing. But I mean, I, I, when I think about like 40 years from now, I'm like, oh, what could SpaceX become? Mm. Like if, if they are actually the only, the only company or space agency in the world with the capability of getting to humans to Mars or even getting bulk, um, bulk cargo to Mars or even to the moon and also being the lowest cost provider at the same time because, of course, we know the, the fact that their rockets land themselves, whereas nobody else's rockets really land themselves and are at the same scale as SpaceX. Hmm. That gives them uh, a, a just an enormous uh, price moat as well, the lowest cost. It's kind of interesting because they are the lowest cost but it's also they've also got another moat, which is a huge barrier to entry moat, mm. extreme barrier to entry moat. Right. Like very, very difficult if you wanted to start up a new space company and rive and do what SpaceX oh, yeah. is doing. So I mean, you you would definitely look I, I, I can pretty much guarantee you'd look at their financials and you'd be like, hmm, family investing, mm. Mm, I'll pass. You know, <laughs> at the moment their business just looks like, oh, you just take satellites to space. Oh, everybody else also takes satellites to space. Mm. So there's no real moat there. No, let's call it perceived value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But I'm like, man, if they can execute in forty years time, when we think about going to space, it'll just be we'll just think SpaceX. We won't yeah. think Boeing. We'll probably not even really think NASA too much. We'll probably just think NASA is, you know, there to conduct science experiments. <laughs> they're, they're the government's kind of input, but SpaceX is really the, the machine that gets it done. Mm. So, yeah. Anyway, but it, that's one that I thought it's of. It's a really interesting question because, uh, I mean, uh, I've heard, I can't remember who said this, but I mean, a lot of the best companies in the world are private companies um, because, yeah. I mean, if a company, companies go public to get, funding, right? And if you don't they need money. If you don't need money, you don't want to sell ownership of your business. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um you don't have to deal with the news constantly reporting you and flipping no. Citibank Goldman Sachs sending you questions every other day saying, hey, whatever you Yeah, and all, <laughs> all your financials are out and the the value yeah. of your shares are fluctuating wildly based on yeah. you know, some article some idiot wrote. Um, yeah. yeah. Exactly. You don't want any of that. You want to be low profile Private business, hundred percent owned by you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It, it's an interesting question, and um, maybe there'll be, and I think there are some of these things available, starting to become available. But maybe there'll be more ways for for smaller investors to invest in private businesses at some point. Um, I hope so. I don't know. Yeah. Mm. We're, we're- and if if like I'm sure we've missed a million great examples just because oh, we couldn't yeah. think of them in time. If you know of a killer private business that you wish was publicly traded, please let us know. Like go and leave us a comment on the YouTube version because I, I, I'm sure there's a million and you guys will drop them in the comments. We'll be like, oh, of course, maybe yeah. we'll come back. If there's enough next week, we might start with- um, with private businesses that people have recommended that they wish they were public. So, mm. if you can think of one, definitely go and go and let us know because I'm sure there are so many examples out there that we just haven't thought yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, 
But I think that'll just about do us for today. Yeah, well. thanks everyone for tuning in as always. And uh, quick reminder, if you do have more questions, we're always welcoming more, even though we've got a, we've got a bit of a backlog, but we're always welcoming it's more great. questions. Um, so head over to the YouTube version of the podcast at youtube.com forward slash the young investors podcast and leave your questions as a comment on the latest episode. Um, and we just take all of those questions, stick them in a Word document and uh, get through as many of them at the end of each podcast. But thanks everyone for tuning in. Um, check out ShareSite at ShareSite.com forward slash young investors if you want four months off a yearly subscription or you just want to try it out for free you can try the free plan have up to 10 stocks which some people might have less than 10 stocks i, I know i do so uh, you can get away yeah. with using the free plan uh, if you want um but thanks everyone for using that um and, and supporting the podcast thanks brandon for joining me this week all good friend and i hope everyone has a good weekend see you later guys see ya